0: Now, uh, we've been in a great flow uh, here at Kensington Temple, and uh, my gratitude to Colin for the privilege of speaking tonight. Do keep uh, senior leader in your prayers. He's in Brazil, as Chris and Christian mentioned earlier on. RT was obviously here last week, RT Kendall, and if you want to hear more of him, keep up with the Revival Times. Uh, All of the details of his speaking schedule is there for you. Um, But this all sits in a context that we are as a church of looking to God for a a season of revival. And there's been prophetic announcements, there's been words declared to us, and, and we're embracing those words with both hands. We're believing that they are promises from God. And I've been reflecting on this time of revival, this time of what God wants to do with us. And one of the things that is true of Kensington Temple is that we are an incredibly generous church. I'm not just talking about your giving. Your giving is amazing. You enable us to do what we do in terms of preaching the gospel continually. But right across the nations, tens of thousands of people have come through the doors of this house, have been discipled in this house, and have been released to the nations to be effective ministers for the Lord in the context that God has called them to. And I think that this is such a significant part of our DNA, our history, because we need to remember this, that as God pours out His Spirit, We participate in as much as we are willing to give away what God blesses us with. That which He pours into our lives, we give generously. We pour out into those around us. We say, you know what, God, we have received freely and we want to give freely. We want to give out of an overflow of what you're doing in our lives. And it's such a necessity right now because as we look at the world, as we look at everything that's gonna happen, that is happening around us, there is lost and broken people all around us who need to know who God is and what He's about. And when I say all this, being generous with what God gives us, I'm not talking about monetary riches. Monetary riches, they come and go. They never affect or change the eternal nature of a man or a woman. Rather, the love of money can lead us into a corruption of the heart. But there is something which we can come and buy from God, so to speak. Isaiah 55 puts it like this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that? which does not satisfy. See, there is something that we can get from God, a peace on the inside, an internal work of transformation, of the love of the Father changing us from the inside out that we can start to be generous with towards the world. And I want to encourage you to, as we're going through, position yourself. Say, God, everything that you pour into me, I want to keep investing it. I want to keep sowing it. I want to keep being a blessing, ministering out of the overflow of what God puts in your life. And we believe that God is going to do such amazing things. The testimonies are going to start to spring forth. And we want to encourage you, bring the testimonies, bring the stories, tell us what God is doing in your life. Tell us what God is doing through your life because he is going to start doing amazing things. Amen. Now tonight, my message is, There is so much grace, and really it's a theme. I don't have one particular verse that I'm going to be speaking to you out of, but crossing a range of verses to leave us with an impression. And I've really been thinking about this on a personal level, that there is a need for me and for all of us to align ourselves to the reality that there is so much grace in God. There is much more grace in God than we can even begin to fathom and begin to understand. And so I want to begin by just reading some verses about the superabundant nature of God. These verses speak for themselves. I don't need to preach them, but I'll use them to jump into the next section of what I'm covering. Ephesians 3 verse 20. "Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Romans 8:31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Ephesians 1, verse 18. That we might know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? These verses speak to the nature of the God whom we serve. And maybe you come today and you're uncertain is God real? the Bible never bothers with explaining whether God is real, never seeks to give any justifications for God's existence. Now, there are all kinds of philosophical reasons that we can explain the existence of God today. But rather, God just acts like this. I'm real. Here's what I'm like. Here's what I'm like. And through these verses, God is revealing himself to Paul and to the people that Paul is ministering to, but also through the ages to us. These words, when they're filled with the Spirit, become life and begin to speak hope and life to us. God, as we were praying earlier, begins to reveal Himself and bring life. And that's what revival is all about. It's the bringing of life. But I like the way that Colin, our senior leader, emphasized this. He said, let's hold off calling it revival until we start to see it touching the lives of those who are lost. Because it's great to be a Christian. It's great to be in God's presence. We all love the Lord's presence. But these times of refreshing for us are times of refreshing. They're times of renewal. They're times where we are reawakened to the reality of God. But there is a bringing forth of life when someone is lost and they come to know God. And when someone is far from God and they're brought to resurrection life through Christ. And Christian was talking about that at 9-11, the idea of the bursting forth of the sounds of revival. I think these verses speak of God's desire to pour out his presence, to pour out his goodness upon us, to show us how generous he really is. So we come to our verse, uh, our phrase for today. There's so much grace. Say it with me, there's so much grace. There's so much grace. There's so much grace. See, because God is so super abundant, God has so much of himself to give, there is no limit to God. It's not as though if God were to choose to bless one of you who runs out of blessings so he can't give to another. God can pour out his goodness upon all of us. In fact, God could reveal his full measure to each one of us in turn and still never run out of himself. Because he's infinite. But what is God about doing with this grace that he's pouring out on us? I don't think that this season of revival is uh, just for people, a few individuals to go and stay on the mountaintop or walk into the wilderness and have great encounters with God. Rather, it's in those great encounters with God, in the wilderness times, in the moments when we're on the mountain seeking after the Lord, that He pours out in us such grace that it becomes a river that flows into the cities. And this is what we want to see, an unleashing of the river, of the presence of God, right across the cities of this nation and right across the nations of Europe but I don't know if you've ever noticed this that Christians aren't exactly the most popular people in the world certainly becoming increasingly unpopular here in in the UK I had this uh, great experience with um my hairdresser or uh, well, my barber sorry barber not a hairdresser barber man haircut um so I'll go into the barbers and um I sit down, and it's the first time I got into this uh, this, this shop. And uh, sitting down, and eventually, as barbers do, you know they like talking. Hairdressers, barbers, whatever, they like talking. They got the full conversation going on: what movies you've seen, what about this, what about that, holidays, da da da. So he looks at me, he goes, "All right, mate. So, what do you do then?" I was like, oh, "Actually, I'm a I'm a minister. What a minister? What's a minister? Uh, a, pastor, a pastor? You might know a pastor." What, you one of them priests? (laughs) And, this is his words, not mine. What about all them little kids then? Straight up, straight in at the deep end, his thoughts about Christians. His thoughts about people of faith. That's what first came out of his mouth. I ignored the question. I carried on talking. Within about 20 minutes, he goes, Do you know anything about marriage, mate? Why's that? Oh, me and and the wife, we're having some problems. Do you do that kind of thing? He went from being really antagonistic, (laughs) wanting to start a fight, (laughs) right the way through to, mate, have you got something that you can say to me out of your faith that would impact my marriage? And although we have a bad rap in front of people on the first presentation, the reality is when it comes down to it, We have truth in the scriptures that can impact and bring life to people. But there is incredible need in the world around us. A few weeks ago, I was walking um, on my commute to work. I get off at Ealing Common and walk along to the uh, main 406 and catch the bus up the hill to Hangar Lane. And I was walking, earphones in, listening to worship music because I am that spiritual. But for that moment, I was listening to worship music And I just happened to look up and across the road at the other side and I saw this guy just as I was about to get on the bus who was demon possessed. No doubt. He's stomping down the road and he's going and he's got a plastic bag in his hand and he's hitting himself in the head with his plastic bag and I'm like oh my goodness me. That guy needs to get free. To my shame I got on the bus. But the point I'm making is that that's just one example of need. You might think that people's problems are nice and contained and at home and the small disagreements with, amongst family members or private drinking problems, but this guy was symptomatic of the world in which we live, brokenness there on the street. And just talking about two examples, a marriage problem and a man wrestling with demons and wrestling with self-harming they're just scratching the surface that's not even beginning to talk to the problems that all of you are facing let alone the problems that we see in the world let alone the real challenges that we have let alone the wrestles with people who are committing affairs and abusing their partners, let alone the challenges of broken relationships, divorced parents and bereavement, let alone scheming liars and deceivers who would do anything they can to get money out of your pocket into theirs, let alone the mental health challenges that we are seeing all around this nation with self-harming, with depression, with suicidal tendencies and loneliness. To be honest, there are moments when I walk around and look at this world and I begin to get down, but then I pretty quickly stop it. Why? Because I can't take it. I can't take reflecting on the reality of where people are at. Why? Because I look at them and I think about me. How much grace it took to take me from where I was, out of alcohol and violence and broken home and all of that, into a place where I can serve God. I think about all of the grace and the prayers and the faithful ministry and sitting in services and worshipping God and people discipling me and all of that good stuff and reading the Bible. I think about all of that and I think, oh my God, it took so much grace for me. How much grace is it going to take for the billions and billions and billions of people who are wrestling right now on this earth? But say it with me, there's so much grace. There's so much grace. Oh, there's so much grace. (laughs) I want to get that TD Jakes on. It's going to come out. (laughs) So much grace. Amen. Hallelujah. And like I said before, in the past, I haven't dwelt on this because it's been uncomfortable. I don't want to walk around with that heaviness in my heart. But the reality is, if you are a carrier of truth, you have to carry the broken people that need that truth in your heart to minister to them. And there was a time last year when I was away seeking after God, a couple of days camping, beautiful, quiet, carrying a tent up into a field and just spending time with God and worshipping. And it was in God's presence that I finally began to feel it, began to weep for the city and for the nation. In his presence it made sense to allow myself to experience that because there's so much grace. There's so much grace. There's so much grace. The grace of God is both revealed and made possible for us all by Jesus' wonderful work on the cross. I want to tell a story to lead into uh, just a little segment of trying to walk us through a bit of Romans 5 through 8. Um, I don't know if you get it from my name, Gabriel Chan, half Chinese. I grew up in Hong Kong. Happy New Year, by the way. Gong Hei Fa Choi. I grew up in Hong Kong from when I was three to when I was 14. My father is Chinese, we lived there and then my mother decided that she'd like us to um, get into the English education system. So she brought us over when I was 14, my brother was 11, just old enough to get into the secondary system here before going into university and so on. Um, and it, it was really an incredible transition because uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong. That's why I've ended up living in a city because when we moved to England, we lived in a village. but. Uh, And Hong Kong is super busy first, right? But second, Hong Kong is super competitive. And I mean super competitive. Everybody's checking out everybody else's clothing style, haircut, how rich your parents are, what kind of uh, accessories you got. In those days, it was Discman's, remember Discman's? For all of you in the middle, you only know iTunes, right? Discman's is something we used to have back in the day, a plastic disc that used to spin in a turntable thing. The thing about Discman's was how thin could you get it? So there was these competitions, how thin could your Discman be? And You'd carry that around to listen to music, not iPods and, and, and other devices and so on. Highly competitive, highly structured around American ways of thinking, American accents and so on. If you wonder what my accent is today, it's called messed up. Because American, then you move to England and go to an English school, and there's great English accents there, but American joined with English somehow ends up with Australian. That's what most people think I am. I'm married to a Kiwi, so I kind of get away with that. Okay, But moving from one country to another, as many of you here, I'm sure, have experienced, you just suddenly out of it. I was in a place where I was competitive, quite successful, would probably have got nine a stars four a stars at a level gone to oxford or cambridge really competitive i say that because that's what my brother did so i'd probably have got one my brother did or beat him you know but um anyway highly competitive um to england where we're throwing around paper airplanes at the back messing around in class and the thing that was more awkward than that was i didn't get any of the jokes They're all making jokes at my expense. And I'm just like, yeah, but yeah, but, and then they're like, ha ha ha, you don't even know what you're talking about, mate. And I was just like, "I, I feel out of sorts here. I can't communicate with you. I can't understand your humor. I can't understand how you dress. I can't understand why you don't care about school. I can't understand why you don't care about your future. Isn't all of this stuff serious? And then layer on top of that, we're living in a field and every, uh, no, in a village. And every single day, I need to walk through a field to get to school. When before I used to take a boat to get to school and take a bus from the boat stop to get to school. I'm just out of it, totally out of it. But I tell you that story just to kind of illustrate what happens when we change realms. We change locations. Now, there are times when I now go back to Hong Kong. I love it. I would never live there again. I enjoy the food. It's great food over there. If you need good food, go there. If you want cheap clothes, go there. Great, awesome. Um, I'm not advocating buying knockoffs or anything like that. But, you know, They don't have tax in Hong Kong. It's great. But I would never want to live there. I know that my home is now in the UK. And maybe when I retire, I'll go to New Zealand. Who knows? Okay, i tell you all of that because I want to set up an illustration. And this is an illustration that's kind of given through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's the idea of the world and the flesh and the spirit and life. Now, in no other circumstances will I ever refer to this platform in these negative terms again, but it's just for the sake of the illustration. Oh, it's over there. Um, It's just for the sake of the illustration today. Okay? This is your former life. Everything up here. Okay? This is your former life. Cheers, me. Say it with me. Former life. This is the world. This is the place of the flesh. This is the place of sin. This is the place where we are born. In Romans 5, Paul refers to something uh, being in Adam. Okay? Now we believe that Adam was created by God, that every human since has been a descendant of Adam and inherits, inherits something that Adam did. It's called original sin. Now the issue is this, that Adam did sin first, he chose to sin against God and we can't say, oh that's Adam and not me because there's something that every one of us should acknowledge is that whatever Adam did, we also have chosen to sin. Whatever situation he initiated, we have also personally become complicit in through our own choices. It's reality. Unless, uh, does anyone here want to claim that you've never sinned in your life? Good. Good. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. Okay, so this is the world, right? And the issue is, that because of Adam's sin, although we have chosen to sin, in a way, in a sense, we had no choice because that which was connected to God, our spirit man, the relationship which recognized God first and chose to honor God first out of relationship is broken. We don't know how to relate to God in a sense we can only choose sin. And between this place, the world, and the place where you're sitting, and this is why I... Arrange it this way, because the place where you're sitting is where I'm going to end up very soon, where all of us are. The place where you are is the realm of the Spirit. See, the problem is I can't get from here to there. Think of it as though this was such a big cliff that if I tried to jump it on my own, I would never make it. Now, the definition of this chasm, this space between us, is called the law. We find this in Scripture that the law defines for humanity the holiness of God, at least the basic standard of holiness towards God, and yet the reality is we cannot live up to the holy standard of God. Paul puts it like this, if you just fail in one area, you fail in every area. As much as you try to be good, you'll never make it because just one mistake, and we've already agreed that all of us have made at least one mistake. So even if I wanted to jump the chasm into the Spirit where all of you are, I could not except for Christ. And that's where Jesus came in. I led us in a bit of a prayer before to give us a bit of foundation that Jesus Christ is God come and clothe himself with flesh. He adds to his nature mankind. Born of a virgin. So not born with the same condition that we have in terms of predisposed to sin. And Jesus could have sinned but rather he chose righteousness every single day of his life, every single moment. All of his moments were orientated towards the Father and honoured the Father. And then there came that fateful day when Jesus knew that he would have to go to the cross for you and for me. He prayed, Lord, if there is another way, let this cut pass from me. But there was no other way. There was no alternative. The only way was for a perfect human being to reset what Adam had done, to cancel out what Adam had done and to initiate a so much more Revelation of God. So much grace. There's so much grace. And Jesus, in his humanity and divinity, united us once again with the Father when he went to the cross for us. Why? Because at the place of the cross, he made room for forgiveness. At the place of the cross, he made room for you to be made right with God. At the place of the cross, he made it possible for you to die to the old life and to come alive to the new life in Christ Jesus. At the place of the cross, he made it possible for us to be adopted. Now these themes are all pulled out of Romans. I read Romans when I was 16. I didn't really know God then, but it burned in my heart anyway. If you've not read the Word of God, I want to encourage you to get a Bible. Open it up at Romans. You might not understand it all, what it means, but it will burn in your heart. It will show you something about the nature of God and wherever you are, God will start to draw you. God will start to draw you. God will start to draw you. So, Jesus has come out to the front right now. Stand up forward a bit, mate. Turn around. All right, I'm gonna scare you now, mate. See, this chasm, I can't make it on my own. If Scott had a cross, I would make him be carrying his cross right now. But he doesn't. So instead, he's gonna to have to catch me. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Oh, feels so much more like Sunday Gabriel. Everyone always gets really freaked out when they see me in plain clothes Sunday Gabriel. See, what happens is when you take that leap of faith, when you begin to trust God, when you say, Lord, I can't fulfill it by the law anymore, I can only fulfill it by trusting in you, Jesus, and what you did upon the cross, that's called being justified by faith. We are made right with God in a way that we could not achieve if we are trying to live up to a standard in our old life in the old way of doing things. But it's a leap of faith. Why? Because we cannot do it except and apart from Christ and the cross. The cross is what makes it possible for us to transition the law out of death into life. And what happens in this realm where we are all, every one of you I believe is a Christian here today, or will make a commitment to follow Christ tonight. But what happens when we're here? Suddenly, we begin to experience something that was birthed in us that moment we put our faith in Christ. The Spirit begins to breathe life into us. Spirit begins to breathe life into us, it begins to speak to us of life in Christ. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, what happens? You are saved. What does that mean? You are saved from the old way, from the old realm, the old place that we used to live. We are now in Christ, in a new location, in a new arena. Remember, Hong Kong, UK, old life, new life. There's something very important that we do alongside this. Romans six, water baptism. When you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you're saved. But we follow Jesus in the walk of discipleship by really leaving behind that old life. The waters of baptism are saying goodbye to that which was controlled by sin. And we find ourselves in a new realm with God where we have a choice. Remember I said to you that Jesus could have sinned. The point is that he didn't. We are now given a new spirit before God and a new heart that desires to honour God. And in this new realm, new privileges, we can choose to honour God Or we can choose to go back to sin. And this is where so many people get this idea of the abundant grace wrong. They think they can make the jump and then just go and squat up in this life. I just want to keep uh, my relationship. I just want to keep my drinking problem. I just want to keep my inward jealousies. I just want to. You died to that way of life. You're alive to the new way in Christ. Grace is not about, okay, we freed you from the control and tyranny of sin so that you can now go back and live in sin. Grace is about, you've been freed from the tyranny of sin. You've been freed from that which controlled you. You can now make choices with your life. Choices that honor God or choices that return you to brokenness. What do you want? Which would you choose? Which would you choose? See, life in the Spirit is about making choices which honour God. Well, how do I know whether I'm holy or not? Well, not that. And that's what Paul says whenever he says, neither adulterers, nor fornicators, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor jealous, and all of those kind of things will inherit the kingdom of God. What's he saying? That's not what the kingdom of God is like. Don't go back there. Rather, pursue life in the Spirit, which is epitomised really by the fruit of the Spirit, learning to love people, love people that don't deserve it, love people that need the grace of God, because why? There's so much grace. And what about when you feel like you are failing and falling short of the glory of God? What about when you feel like you've messed up so bad that maybe you've lost your salvation? Or maybe you're doing it deliberately. Maybe you're sinning willfully. Well, what happens? You turn to walk back this way, and what do you find in front of you? If only Scott were here with his cross, It would be perfect illustration. You stay. It's okay then. But imagine you come back and the cross is there. You don't get back into the flesh by mistake. You come face to face with the cross. You come face to face with Jesus who helped you make that jump, that unleapable chasm into the Spirit. He took you out of there into here. In fact, this is so certain that God puts His Spirit where? Not around you. You're not just in the Spirit, but the Spirit is in you. When the Spirit is in you, what does that mean? God is not committed to the space around you. God is committed to you. The Father is committed to you as a son or daughter of God. And that commitment is as firm in holding us as the fact that it was Jesus only who could lift us out of there into here. Jesus only could take us from the realm of sin into the realm of life. Why? Because we're justified by faith. When you start to think about that, so much grace. Why do you deserve forgiveness? Why do you deserve transformation? Why do any of us deserve these things? None of us do. And yet, while we were enemies with God, in due season, He sent His Son. In due season, He offers His Son to every single one of you. What kind of a life do you want? Do you want a life where there's nothing but brokenness in fruit? Or do you want a life that honors God with your fruit? None of us deserve it, but He gives our grace, His grace, to every single one of us. But this grace is not just, we just made it from here the great jump to there. Romans 5, 17, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Much more. Much more. There's so much grace. There's so much grace. There's so much grace for you exactly where you are right now. Because grace is so much more than just the soft side of God and holiness being his serious side. Sometimes people try to offset once again, one against the other and say, grace is, you know, the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's okay, son. It's okay. I know what that's like. I know that's like. We'll let it slide this time. You know, like the the father who's living vicariously through his kids who are going off into their wild youths. That's not what God is about. We don't have to say God is, God's grace is for the soft side and his holiness is for his firm side. Grace is who God is. The Bible says this, God is love. Grace is the action of God's love towards you. Scripture says in John 1 that Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth or love and holiness. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ, is manifest in the person of Christ He is perfect love and perfect holiness, pulled together in one. And God looks at us. He sees us in all of our glory. Such as it is, it's filthy rags. Now I put on a nice jacket tonight, but really any clothes that we bring before the Lord, filthy rags. sees us in all of our glory and yet his love in action compels him to engage with each one of us to show us his love and goodness to challenge us and shape us with his truth so that we might receive a new glory a new glory that is becoming like Jesus 1 Peter issues us with this grand challenge but he who is caught has called you as holy you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, the grace of God brings us from where we are right the way through to where God wants us to be. Let's think of it in these terms. Grace is manifest in our lives when God is picking us up, when we've made the biggest mess of our life. He comes and he picks us up off the floor when we need love, when we need encouragement, when we need forgiveness, when we need tenderness but then he lifts us any of you ever been to one of those aerial walkways or like CN Tower where they've got the see-through floor and you're at a crazy height but then you can see down almost like a glass-bottom boat but flying and you're up there and you look down and from this new perspective in grace We start to see the truth of the mess that was all around us. Hey, if I had done that, oh, that would have been a terrible decision. And what would have happened to my life? And oh, thank God he saved me from that. And oh, don't let that happen, Jesus. And he didn't. Because he saved us by his grace. And when we're in that perspective, we start to see how the way that God planned our life, he helped us and kept us from things that would have totally broken us. That's where we come to understand never to abuse grace, because grace is based in God's truth and love. But then there's another stage. There's that stage where we're soaring like eagles, not having to climb up a tower and look down through the plastic. We're soaring with eagles. Why? Because grace has so transformed us. The love of God has so transformed us. The conviction that we are now sons and daughters of God adopted God never disadopts. God is not a foster parent. God is an adoptive parent. God loves us so much that He gives us His name. We're now His children. We're now so profoundly transformed that we recognize what a crazy decision it would be to go back to sin. Hey, whoa, that's the old me, not me now. That's That's what I used to do. That's not who I am anymore. Why? Why? Because we're being transformed in grace. We're being transformed. Why? Because there's so much grace. 2 Corinthians 3. But one, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The gospel, the cross, the new life that Christ offers us is so radically different to the world around us. And each part of it is invitational, the forgiveness of God. Maybe there are things that you think that you've done where you were just so bad that you're worse than everybody else. Let me tell you, no big deal to God. Yes, a big deal in the sense that every sin offends God, but there's no sin too big that God cannot forgive you. Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm a good person. I can save myself. I can make that jump. You know, the more we watch athletes these days, the further they're jumping, the higher they're jumping, the faster they're running. Hey, maybe if I train enough in righteousness, I can make that jump. Except maybe it's a little bit too far for you, for every single one of us. Why? Because only Christ can help us make that leap. The gospel makes room for our healing. I don't know if you're broken in body or heart today, but God can heal you. God can restore you. Maybe you've chucked away your life. I remember those days when my stories used to be about the fights that I'd been in and the amount that I'd drunk. I still tell some of the lads about the drinking stories and they're like, what, you drank that much? Yeah, a bit crazy, wasn't it? That was what my stories were about, but... God didn't let me throw my life down the drain. God doesn't want to let you throw your life down the drain. God can restore all things. God can restore all things. God can restore all things. And much more than that, the cross makes room for you to be new creations. New creations. New creations in Christ. And I want to challenge us with all that I've said so far that this should be hopefully stirring something in you about your whole perspective on God because we've got to change our perspective on God. The way we see things has got to totally change. The way we see people has got to totally change. The way that we regard, hope, believe for someone in their future has got to change because 2 Corinthians five sixteen. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does that mean? It means you might look at someone who you knew before they became a Christian. That guy was a liar and cheater then. He's still a liar and cheater now. That guy was a deceiver then. He's still a deceiver now. That guy couldn't keep strong relationships then. He's still not going to be able to keep strong relationships now. Don't think of people like that anymore. When you see someone come in off the streets, out of their head on drugs, tattooed up to the max, wearing crazy clothes, don't regard them according to the flesh. Don't look at them according to how you would normally have judged people. Start to look at them in the way that God can transform their life. Because there's so much grace. There's so much grace. And we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Where I wanted to take this message is to challenge you and encourage and inspire you that you are to be a location of so much grace. You are to be somebody that's has had such a revelation of God the Father that when you hang out with people, you speak words of life, of hope, of restoration. Never shy away from bringing them to the cross. The cross is the place where we make the transition. But invite people to the great new life that we are called to in Christ. It's not a life where everything becomes perfect, but it's a life where we, we are united with the one who is perfect. Act with the sight of grace. You know, so many parents struggle with this with kids, and I'm looking forward to this one day. So many Christians struggle with this with their unsaved partners. They think, if I could just make you get it, then you'll get saved. Except the wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. Except us living out of the old ways of just forcing people to be right and getting them to conform doesn't get anybody saved. If you got a haircut, if you sort yourself out, get the tattoo removal, it's great. It's easy these days. You can can become a Christian just like me. No! Because the gospel is so radical that it's only by faith in Christ Jesus, not by our external works and conformity. But will you become a location of so much grace? You know, there's coming a time when you'll be challenged to stand on buses and stand up in tubes and stand on corners preaching the gospel. There's coming a time where we will be required, compelled by the grace of God. Those friends that we said we were doing friendship evangelism with, but really we were just doing friendship, will be compelled by grace to bring the evangelism. We'll be compelled to start to love those in front of us with the love of God. Will you be a location of grace? I want to just give us an image before we start to move towards ministry time. Uh, In New Zealand, there's many, many great um, sights and sounds, beautiful country. There's one unusual place that we went to in the south where there's one road to a town. And as you drive down this road to a town, it's about 50 kilometers or so, and there's only one town at the end. But down the si- as you're going down, there's sheer cliffs on either side, and you're driving down the middle. And we happened to be driving up, coming back from that town, having done a nice hike when we were on our extended honeymoon. And the rains were falling. But these rains were forming on these cliffs. One uniform, right the way across, waterfall. And all we could see was streams of water coming down this rock. And as they came round, they began to gather into a river and began to flow. And I give you that image because that's who we are called to be, the grace of God falling from heaven. And us participating in directing that water, to where it needs to go. There's so much grace. So much grace that God wants to pour out in this nation. There's so much grace that God wants to pour out through you to your family. All you can think about is the arguments and the bitterness and the unforgiveness that you have in your heart. And then if you would align yourself to grace and what God wants to do, if you'd begin to see them with the eyes of faith, The same God who loved you and transformed you and began to work in your heart. Working in their hearts. There's so much grace.